0: Thank you for joining Manners and Other Matters, the podcast which brings you all the insights you need to navigate the intricate world of modern manners and elegant living. I'm your host, Louise Percy, and I'm delighted to be your guide on this journey towards a more refined and gracious way of life. I'm here to share my knowledge and insights with you. And I will also be bringing in a lineup of experts from the worlds of etiquette, and elegant living to share their wisdom and experiences. The Art of Etiquette isn't just about following a set of rigid, traditional rules. It's about fostering meaningful relationships, both in your personal and professional life, whether you're dining with colleagues, entertaining guests, or simply striving for a more elegant lifestyle. Subscribe to Manners and Other Matters today, and let's explore the world of etiquette, manners, and the pursuit of elegance together. Hello and welcome to Manners and Other Matters. Today's subject matter is something that I have been asked over all the years that I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to people about etiquette and manners. And it's about modern dining etiquette and manners. And what's the difference? What are the differences between the traditions, the fashions, the trends in not only the manners and the style of eating, but also the food that we eat? For example, these days, the shared plate is very, very fashionable, and so I'm going to be discussing all those aspects, but as well as things like seating arrangements, the napkin etiquette or serviette, your cutlery confidence, table talk, what can you and what shouldn't you talk about at the table, tech-free dining, I know some people aren't going to be too interested in that one, ordering with grace, navigating the, the modern menus, if you like, paying the bill. And how do you do that nicely with splitting the bill, tasting and toasting? So we'll have a look at wine etiquette and toasting, how you go about it. And then I'm going to look at some special scenarios. What I'm not going to do today is talk about business dining etiquette and manners. I'll touch on that in another episode. So let's kick off. And what is dining etiquette? Well, dining etiquette is really the code of behavior for which you're able to eat comfortably with other people enjoying the ambience of the occasion, be it casual or silver service, enjoying your fellow diners, and obviously appreciating the food without having to think too much about the details. So that's what I'd like to do today. I'd like to fill in the details so that you can just enjoy your experience when it's offered to you. Good Dining Etiquette does reflect on you as an individual and contributes very much to the positive dining experience for everyone. I'm sure we've all been in situations where we've dined with people who feel uncomfortable in the circumstances in which they find themselves and then maybe make others feel uncomfortable as well. But it's also manners play a crucial part because there are table manners, not reaching at the table, asking for things to be passed, eating nicely, not speaking with a mouthful, all the things that we learn as children, but we sometimes forget as adults. And it does actually play a crucial role in fostering positive social interactions during this positive and pleasant atmosphere of a meal. And when I'm talking about dining etiquette and table manners, I'm not talking about just sitting down and having a meal for nutrition's sake. I'm talking about sitting down with your partner, with your family, with your friends, and enjoying the whole experience of sharing a meal together. People often ask me, Louise, what do you do about seating arrangements? Well, I actually have a little rule, that I separate couples. Now, if they're newly in love, I sit them on either side of the table so they can make doughy eyes at each other and feel comfortable. If they've been together for some years, I do actually separate them because otherwise we're all so busy these days. If you sit them next to each other, they're going to talk to each other. And part of what I consider perhaps the most important component of any meal apart from the food is the ambience and the conversation. So I tend to sit at one end of the table, particularly if I'm hosting at home, and I am going to be talking about, as I mentioned, social dining etiquette today. And I do love hosting in winter and in summer. In summer, it tends to be more outside. I tend to have Brian, my partner, who helps with wine and beverage pouring and selection, at the other end of the table, not necessarily right at the other end of the table, though I'm not one for, in a very social casual setting, male, female, male, female, or male, male, whatever it might be. I want people to mix up so that there's a wonderful ambience about them, but reiterating, I do separate couples. And so what I do normally do is I I mention to my guests, and I usually have six, eight, or 10, is that I'm going to be sitting here And particularly if I've got somebody who is coming in from interstate or I'm hosting a dinner or a lunch particularly for them, I'll put them as the in the inverted commas guest of honours to my right, so that we can actually catch up. And I get the opportunity then to also guide conversation around the table to ensure that they're fully engaged with the people that I've invited to enjoy the meal with them. Now the very first thing you do as a guest when you're seated at the table. Is unfold your napkin. Now, there's a few ways of looking at this. More traditionally, you would wait until the host or hostess was seated and had taken her napkin, which is usually on the left hand side of the place setting in a more casual setting. It might be in the middle of the place setting on a charger plate in some elaborate arrangement of folding if you're in a more formal environment. But you take your napkin and you place it on your lap. Unfold it very discreetly without making a flourish. And do you have to wait until the hostess unfolds her napkin? Not necessarily because she might get you all seated at the table and then excuse herself to go and perhaps do something in the kitchen if she's entertaining as casually as I sometimes like to without staff. So you place it on your lap and the correct way to place it is to unfold it so that the crease is actually facing your knee so that the two open sides of the napkin are closest to you so that when you dab your mouth with it and you do dab, not rub any lipstick or food stains, which may be put on the napkin are actually then hidden when you eventually go to put it back on the table. Now, should you need to leave the table during the meal, you do that with your napkin by leaving it on your seat. The only time the napkin goes back on the table on the left hand side is at the conclusion of the meal. And then it's just lightly folded, not back into its original folds, just lightly folded, and left on the left-hand side of your place setting. I'm very pleased to let you know that I offer courses for one-on-one coaching, online and in person, but also group courses. And on February 17th here in Perth, I'll be offering a one-day Modern Etiquette and Manners class. It's fabulous. We talk all things Modern Manners, including dining etiquette, which we cover during a lovely three-course lunch with complimentary wines, alcoholic or non-alcoholic. And then on March 16th here in Perth, my signature masterclass will commence for three months. It's called The Art of Elegant Life. It's a full one day, and then two months of individual and group Zoom calls, and concludes with a champagne morning tea graduation. If you'd like more details, please contact me through the Percy Institute website, thepercyinstitute.com. Cutlery confidence can be a bit daunting. There's a very old saying that if you look at a place setting and there's an enormous amount of cutlery, then you always start from the outside and work your way in. And that's a very good rule and guidance. You will always find that the spoons and knives are on the right hand side of your place setting. And the forks and your bread and butter plate are on the left. Your glasses will be above the knives and the spoons. Now, even if you're left-handed and you're going to use the cutlery in your own and very comfortable way, don't move it around on the place setting. Leave it exactly where it is because particularly for those dining in restaurants or even private homes, if you've moved the cutlery around, it can make it very, very difficult for either your server or your hostess. So do remember knives and spoons on the right hand side and forks and bread and butter plate on the left. And when you have a look at the cutlery that's at the table setting, you may well see two different shapes of spoons. Perhaps the far outside spoon has a round bowl and that indicates that your first course is going to be a soup. You would then perhaps have one or two knives. If you have two knives, it means a smaller knife will be used for your Entree, as we say in Australia, or appetizer, as the Americans would say, and then you have a different shaped spoon with a rather more elongated bowl, and that's going to be your dessert spoon. On the other side, on the fork side of the place setting, because I teach more British style of etiquette rather than the American style, we don't have a separate fork for salad. But if you did, it would be on the outside, or perhaps in between an entree or appetizer and main course fork. And then you may even have a smaller fork, which would correspond to the dessert spoon, because sometimes if you have a dessert, which has a tart base, crunchy base, you might need to use the spoon and fork. And in doing so, you actually anchor the food with the fork, cut with the side of the spoon, and you eat from the spoon, not the fork. And then we come to table talk what do you do with table talk at the table, particularly if you're surrounded by people that you don't particularly know? Well, the way that I run my lunch or dinner parties is that I always invite my guests about half an hour before we're going to be seated so that we can organize drinks for them, be they alcoholic or non-alcoholic drinks, absolutely fine these days, to have that array and selection of choice for your guests. And I like to try and get people who don't know each other chatting before they go to the table, because otherwise they may find themselves seated together and there can be awkward silences when they first sit down. If I am being discreet about trying to mix people up, I will actually advise them where to sit at the table. This is slightly more formal, but quite often my guests will say, oh Lou, I know you've got so-and-so coming, I'd really like to have a bit of a chat with them. And so I do try and accommodate that with the seating plan that I organise. And so I tend to keep the conversation going around the table. I don't just talk to the person on my immediate right and left, but in order to get conversation going sometimes, I'll ask a question of the person one down from the person seated immediately to my right or left. And it would be something like, oh, Simon, I believe that you're just back from skiing in Japan with your children for the holiday. How was it? And, Diana, I know that you regularly go skiing in Japan. If the two of you had a chance to chat about where you go, all of a sudden you get the conversation going, and once they're talking, I can then pull back as the hostess and talk to the people on either side of me. And given the fact that I'm not royal, I don't spend one course speaking to one person on one side and one course speaking to another person on the other side. But what I do do, if I'm being the hostess and up and down from the table, I do ensure that the two of those people on either side of me are actually in conversation before I leave because otherwise it can be an awkward silence for them. It really is about making your guests feel as comfortable as possible. And so where's the etiquette in all of this? Well, the etiquette is that you will have done appropriate introductions when people arrive and you can also give a little bit of information about the people that you're introducing, not a potted biography. But a little information so that when you do move to start plating salads or whatever the, whatever it is you're doing, if you're not doing it buffet style, then obviously they've got something to talk about. Now having said the buffet style, I do actually prefer that for large gatherings. I actually prepare all my dishes. I have the plates, the tables are already laid with the cutlery, but I have the plates out and I have a selection of dishes. I always have invited my guests to give me their dietary requirements, if they have any, at the time that they're RSVP to the invitation. Now, the invitation might have gone out via text, email, e-invitation. It might even have gone out on one of my own invitation cards and I've popped it in a mailbox or put a stamp on it. But there will always be an RSVP. And remember that if there's a date with the RSVP, that's a date by which you reply not necessarily the date on which you reply. And that's the point where, as a hostess, I would say to my guests, oh, do you have any dietary requirements? And I will always ensure that the food that I am providing allows for those dietary requirements. Now, it probably goes without saying that once the ambience is set, and the ambience for me is not just about the guests and the lovely table setting, it's really also about things like flowers on the table do just remember not to have some wonderfully elaborate and quite tall arrangement on your tables though, because people can't speak to each other across the table. I tend to either put my arrangements scattered along the table in little small petite vases, or else I have a round or a elongated bowl in which I can actually spread the flowers out and so they're still only going to be just a little tall so that people can easily speak over the top of them. And when you have such a lovely table, one of the most ghastly things that your guests can do is actually put all of their electronic devices, phones, on the table. At any dining situation, I would really like to think that phones are not part of the guest list. I do think that if there is a circumstance where you know you have to take a call, you can advise the hostess in advance and have your phone on silent in your pocket or whatever the circumstances where you're going to feel it, and excuse yourself from the table. But at the same time, following on from my Percy Institute 5Ps where I talk about prior preparation prevents poor performance, you would, I suggest, also mention to the person who's going to be calling you on this particular subject or urgency or from another time zone that you will be unavailable for the time that you are likely to be at the table. We do all have urgent calls, though. So if there's something that really has got to be taken, you do excuse yourself. It may be babysitters or whatever it might be. Certainly in a social situation, I would prefer that your work environment wasn't intruding on your social situation. This would be considered by most, I think, fairly bad manners. So let's have a look at a scenario where you're not around my table having a selection of food Offered to you in my courtyard to which you can help yourself and then return to your place. You're in a restaurant. The menus can be very difficult these days. There are so many different options. A la carte, set menus, degustation, shared plates. I mean, it can be really difficult. So let's just start with the terms that you use. As I've mentioned previously, here in Australia, we call the first course not the little taste course, but the first course with which you'll use cutlery, an entree, not an appetizer, which makes it quite confusing for Australians if we're perhaps entertaining Americans at a restaurant and they'll say, well, for my appetizer, I'd like this and for my entree, I'd like that because for entree, for us, it's normally the smaller course. This is one of those wonderful moments of cross-cultural awareness that works really, really well, I think. So. Normally you have a first course, a main course, perhaps a cheese course, salad course, dessert. As a guest, I would always suggest if you have the opportunity to ask your hosts, if you're nearby, what do you suggest on the menu? This is going to give you an indication as to whether or not your hosts are going to be having two or three courses. And irrespective of their answer, as a guest, you never ever order the most expensive thing on the menu and certainly not, if you're given a wine list to peruse, the most expensive wine. If I'm the host, I will always give tips about what I think are lovely dishes on the menu. And so that nobody's uncomfortable, I do actually offer the full range from the most expensive through to the most simple. We all have different tastes. I do also suggest that should you have dietary requirements, you make those requirements known to the server, so I'm finding here in Australia, I'm not sure about where you are in the world listening to this. Most of the menus actually have indications of initials about whether they're vegan friendly, vegetarian, pescatarian, lactose free, gluten free. But one of the questions I was asked fairly recently was by somebody who's a very strict vegan. I don't like going to restaurants with other people because there are never any vegan options. Well, they usually are, and otherwise you can mention to your host if you're, let's say, the guest of honour, that could the selection of restaurant that the host is offering include vegan options? I know it can be terribly difficult for people sometimes, particularly with quite severe allergy situations, but positive, generous communication can normally solve any of those difficulties before they become real problems at the restaurant. Now, with wine and toast etiquette, you do not have to drink wine these days. I enjoy my wine. I enjoy complementing my wine with the dish that I'm going to be enjoying. And I usually ask, once I know what my guests are ordering, what they would prefer to have by way of wine. And if I'm actually serving wine at home, I always include some non-alcoholic varieties. We have some fabulous non-alcoholic wines here in Australia, which go very nicely with most of the food that I serve. And most of the restaurants that I tend to visit these days also have a range of non-alcoholic drinks. With toasting, should there be a toast, at a, some sort of ceremonial occasion or, or somebody's birthday or whatever it is, the person who's hosting usually presents the toast. Now, I normally choose to do this towards the beginning of the meal and before the main course. I think it puts everybody in the mood. So it may well be after the first course and before the second course is a good opportunity. Otherwise, perhaps you choose after the main course and before the dessert. Remembering that a toast should always be succinct and short, particularly for something that's not business-related. And the etiquette for the response to the toast should be no longer than the toast itself. So now to the etiquette of the toast. Don't clink a glass with a knife to get people's attention. I suggest that you actually just stand up with your glass and you can then propose the toast in whichever way you want for whatever particular circumstance it is. The person who, or people who are being toasted do not take a sip from their glass. Remembering that you don't have to have alcohol in a glass. You can perfectly toast with water. Then when the person or the people who've been toasted, one of them is chosen to reply, they would then toast the people who've offered the original toast and take a sip, and then everybody would join in and take a sip. It's really very simple, but somehow it gets clouded in clumsiness sometimes. And now we get to the situation of who pays the bill. Well, the traditional rule has always been that the person who extends the invitation pays for the meal and all its various aspects, wine, service charge, tipping, etc. And this hasn't changed. As I've said earlier in this episode, I'm not going to be talking about business dining etiquette because that's a whole different set of rules. This is social. And what about if you're out with a group of friends and you want to split the bill? This can be really tricky. You know, it's, I've seen so many awkward occasions where somebody said, well, I only had one course and I don't drink alcohol and you all had two bottles of wine and three courses and all of that comes into play, obviously. The most important situation in any casual environment like this is to communicate beforehand about splitting the bill. And there are some fabulous apps out there now that can assist you to do that. Anything that can cause discomfort at the table should obviously be avoided. Some modern restaurants and cafes provide individual payment options, making it convenient for each person to cover their own portion. And I think that's a great idea. In group settings, it's courteous for individuals to agree on the bill-splitting approach before the meal concludes, again, to avoid any awkwardness. What I do if I'm taking, let's say, guests, clients particularly, to lunch, is I always arrive 10 minutes before my guests, so I'm there in case anybody is a little bit early. Well, it's not really early, as my father, late father, the naval officer, to say, if you're 10 minutes early, Louise, you're already late. And so he would hover around or I actually go and refresh my appearance and so then arrive right on time. But for me, I arrive 10 minutes early. I make sure that the table that's been allocated is suitable for the fact that we're going to be able to want to talk and, and so on and so forth. So it's not too close to a servery station or the bathrooms. And I also mentioned to the maitre d or whomever has greeted me at the entrance to the restaurant that I don't want The account being brought to the table. What I do is I actually invite my guests to order tea, coffee or whatever beverage they would like at the end of the meal. And I excuse myself to go and refresh my appearance. And at that stage, I leave my credit card with the cashier and say, would you please organize the account? I don't want it coming to the table. It just saves a lot of awkwardness, particularly as I say, if I'm a single female, taking guests out, they'll feel quite even in stay age, quite often as if they need to at least pick up some of the bill. And if it's, for me, I prefer it this way. I'd be interested in your comments on that, actually. And so I'm going to answer a listener's question now. This particular listener wrote in to me a couple of weeks ago, Louise, what do you do with shared plates? So often, restaurants these days are shared plates, and I'm not just talking things like tapas and things like that. I'm talking main courses where they come and they're put down the middle of the table. And in fact, I was in a situation quite recently where I went out for lunch with friends and I'd ordered a fillet steak. I hadn't had a steak for ages, actually, as it turned out. And the server said to me, Madam, would you like that to share? Well, I mean, it was a 200-gram piece of steak, and I said, no, thank you. Then when all the shared plates came out and quite often people had taken their own meal exactly as I did in the shared plates with things like the salads and sides, there were no utensils offered. And so my listener said, is it polite for me to ask the server to provide utensils that we can all use rather than using our own cutlery? Well, of course it is. And I'm not sure that I'm not on a one woman crusade here in Australia to actually have that level of serving etiquette in every restaurant. We shouldn't ever have to be put in a situation where we need to ask for it or use our own cutlery. So I hope these few tips have helped you and that when you go to your next meal, whether you're hosting, being a guest in a private home, a restaurant, a cafe, that you think about it. I look forward to speaking with you next time. Thank you so much for joining me today. Your time and attention are greatly appreciated and I hope you've found our discussion both enlightening and inspiring. If you've enjoyed our conversation and want to stay connected with us on this journey of elegance and refinement, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast platforms. And why not share the wisdom with your friends and family? Etiquette is best enjoyed when it's a shared experience after all. And for all the latest updates, behind-the-scenes moments, And exclusive content. Be sure to follow the Percy Institute on Facebook and Instagram. And please also do join my Facebook group. It's called the Elegance Club. And you'll get exclusive offers and bonuses. Remember, the pursuit of a more elegant life is a continuous journey, and I'm delighted to share your journey. Feedback and engagement mean the world to me here, so please keep those comments questions and suggestions coming. I love hearing from you. So until next time, my dear listeners, stay graceful, stay kind, and may your life be filled with elegance and joy. Thank you for being a part of Manners and Other Matters. Goodbye for now.